You're listening to the Sound Girls Podcast with Tori and Katie. Today's episode features Ebony Smith. Ebony Smith is an award-winning music producer, audio engineer, and singer-songwriter based in New York City. Ebony is also the founder and president of Gender Amplified Inc., an organization that celebrates and supports women and girls in music production and audio engineering. Ebony received her first Grammy certificate and RIAA certified platinum plaque for work as an assistant engineer on Hamilton, original Broadway cast recording. She received her second Grammy certificate for work as an assistant engineer on Sturgill Simpson's award-winning album, A Sailor's Guide to Earth. She also engineered on the Grammy-nominated album Dirty Computer by Janelle Monet and the Grammy-winning album Invasion to Privacy by Cardi B. Ebony holds a master's degree in music technology from New York University and a bachelor's degree in Africana Studies from Bernard College, Columbia University. While in college, Ebony received training at Columbia University's Computer Music Center and studied abroad in the West African nation of Cameroon. During her five-month stay there, she performed with bands, worked in studios, and produced local artists. She currently works as an engineer, producer, and studio coordinator for Atlantic Records. Welcome, Ebony. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Epic bio. How does it feel to have that read? Are you like, yeah, that's It's really funny because I think it's so important to look back at the accomplishments because to be completely honest, I think most of us, especially in entertainment or entertainment adjacent, we're just constantly charging forward to the next thing. And I don't always think that we take time to celebrate the wins along the way. It just all ends up being one continuous hustle. Right. Like where's the end point? You just keep going to the next thing. And it's like, you've already done such amazing things. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's really great. I think that this morning in particular, I took a little time to think about that. And it was partially because I was in the gym and a song that I worked on was on the radio and, and it was a song I did years ago, you know, and I think about it a lot. It's rare, very rare that I am out and don't hear something that I was either worked on or privy to the inner workings of or know somebody that wrote the song or knew wow. somebody, know somebody who produced the song, know a musician that played on the record. Um, the music business really is quite small. You know, so it's really crazy. And I think sometimes that can get lost when that becomes commonplace. You know, you're just so used to it, you know, after a while. But then at the same time, it doesn't get old. What song was that, by the way? It was Have It All by Jason Mraz. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm such a huge Jason Mraz fan. Okay. Uh, All right. Yeah, he's coming to town to do some shows, I think. And it was a radio commercial. For the concert and they were playing this track so so you were just in the gym like oh my gosh whoa <laughs> let, me, let me reflect on my career that's <laughs> yeah it was i have it all i think you need you need those reminders because it career a career in music is full of ups and downs one of the reasons parents don't want their kids going into music is not because you can't make it it's because it's it's non-linear right you just You can make a million dollars one year and make two dollars the next. It's just very, it's very nonlinear. You can get a a hundred calls one year and then the calls start trickling off a little bit. You get fewer calls the next year and 
the year after that, she was, it's just like radio silence. And, it, and maybe you'll have a second wind, you know, but it's arguable just what a good career looks like. Sometimes a good career can look like a great year. You know, sometimes a good career can look like 30 or 40, 50 years. In the case of somebody like Quincy Jones, 60 years. You know, you don't, but you don't know. And there are no guarantees, like, on what part of the spectrum you're going to be on. It's, it's kind of like feast or famine. So it can be as you're hustling to make sure that you keep a job and stay relevant and keep getting the work. You know, you can forget about accomplishments because, as they say, you're only as good as your last hit. You right. Know, it's a doggy, kind of like a doggy dog uh, industry in that way. Wow. So everyone give up. <laughs> no, no, it's um, I th- it's so rewarding. You know, I would never discourage anyone from pursuing audio, particularly music production audio, because it's it's less about the industry part of it. Like we don't want to idolize the music business. If you can make it in the music business, great. But the craft is the prize. Yes. The reward of doing the work, the technical work, the scientific work, the artistry of that is liberating. And if you love it and you really develop a passion for that, that is what will open the doors for you to do it professionally. And that's what will have the calls coming in. But that's not the impetus for actually exploring. The people that get good and end up getting in the business is because they found a passion in the art form. And that passion doesn't go away. A little secret is that I always wanted to be a producer, but I never thought I'd end up at a label. Never. I just assumed that I would be kind of circling around that part of it because I never really felt like a label job would make sense. Like I was I was happy to be working independently or happy to be doing it even at a school, you right. know, because the schools had the best studios. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wanted to be at the best studios. Like where, where can I be in the studio all the time in schools? Like they were building the bed, like the steel now, steel. The schools have the best studios. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I'm just saying. So how did you actually get started in with your passion, your love for music? That started pretty young, as does with most of us, uh, with instruments. I grew up playing piano, guitar. Those were my two instruments in elementary school into high school. And then I actually picked up drums on the job at Atlantic, you know, because they had a drum set and it was in the studio. It was always isolated. So after work, I would if I had some time, I would just practice. And so I got fairly decent at drums. Still no Terry Lynn Carrington, but I could I could sit in it with someone. (laughs) So where did that lead? So from instruments to what? Tell us your um, your tale of your roots. The trajectory. Yes. Um, So it started with musicianship because that was kind of all I, I I knew so much of the audio part of it was was unbeknownst I, I didn't know anything about that when I got to college I had to find a job on campus at Barnard and there were all these jobs like desk attendant work in the library like work in the gym I was like no I'm not doing anything <laughs> there was one job and it was an audiovisual tech job. I was like, this, like, I can do this. Like, this sounds freaking cool. So the job was come in. If there are events on campus that need audio support, 
they hired the students. They paid us like $8 an hour and they hired us to work the campus events. We were the audio crew, audio and visual. We didn't do a ton of camera stuff, but we did a bunch of audio stuff. So you could see me anytime during the between classes or on the weekends. It was a seven day a week job wheeling around mics and cables and stands and mixers. It was nothing to see me in the hallway, like just pushing a mixer up three flights of steps. You know, right. that, that was my job. And it taught me so much. It was such a great foundation in audio. And we had a tech closet. They taught us soldering. They taught us all the basic electronic gear uh, uh, associated with, with audio reinforcement, whether it was you know, building out playback systems or patch bays or learning about the various components of a, of a recording deck. You know, we learned about compressors. We learned about different types of EQs, graphical, parametric EQs. They, and, and the most important thing they taught us, coiling cables. Um, mm. By the end of four years of that job, I was a master cable coiler. I love it so and much. Yeah, they taught us about dynamic mics, condenser mics. I mean, this was like I got paid, you know. So, and that was four years doing that. And some of the events that I did were great. You know, we had bands on campus to do lunchtime events. So I'd set up the whole speaker system for that, you know, like lugging around huge monitor wedges and throwing them up on stands. You know, I felt, you know, very empowered. It was very empowering doing this job because they just kind of let us go. It was an all-girls school, you know, so uh-huh. we didn't we didn't have... I mean, Columbia is co-ed, but Barnard is all girls. And even though the schools pass students, so for example, you'll have a major that's just based at Barnard and you have majors that are just based at Columbia. So you see the boys all the time, but as far as the audio job, that was an all girls job because it was a Barnard job. So I did that for four years in college. Now, in the middle of that time, I discovered GarageBand. And so that was the beginning of a production curiosity that has lasted forever. I'm still tinkering around with software, making beats and all that. So I started making beats probably around like 19 in GarageBand, just like tinkering around. And because the the live aspect and the sound reinforcement aspect that I was doing did not involve any like production information or recording information. The only recording we did was like, we had some field recorders that we took around every now and again, you know, but we didn't really do any studio type of recording. And when we did do recordings, it was like two track, you know, very, very modest stuff. I then had to be creative and try to find that information elsewhere. And so Columbia being Columbia, you know, I was bouncing around with the students that were doing the production classes at the Columbia Computer Music Center, met some kids that way. And there was a little campus label. So I, I met some kids like that. There were also a couple of professors whose brains I picked and some students that had recording equipment in their dorms that I started like picking everybody's brain a little bit. And by my senior year, I built my own little studio. And I should say also in the middle of that, between junior and senior year, 
I studied in Africa. So I went to Cameroon and the whole time I was there, I was just in the studio all the time in Africa. So I worked a, a lot with a bunch of producers out there and I learned a lot. I learned about Fruity Loops, the FL Studio now. You know, I learned how to like make tracks on PCs, you know, because mostly in the United States, we were doing stuff on Macs. But like overseas, folks were using like Cubase and FL Studio. So I learned about all these dolls that I didn't know about and wasn't using in the U.S. In the U.S., I was, some people were using Fruity Loops, but it was still kind of like laughed at a little bit. It was Garage Band for me and like Pro Tools and reason. That was the beginning of that. And by the time I graduated, I was just like, okay, this is what I'm doing, you know? So let me find a way to make my way to the business. And obviously you don't really know how. It just ends up being a lot of trial and error. You try to intern, you try to run up on people. I would run up on producers. Hey, you made that track. You know, I was that annoying girl. Um, in the club. Hey, so trying to talk to Busta Rhymes about beats. Like, hey, I'm going to be a producer. I, I literally ran up on Busta Rhymes in the club and I was like, I'm going to be a producer. And he was like, oh, word. I was like, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna be a producer. Have you talked to him since? <laughs> yeah, actually, I've seen him in the studio. I told him um, the last time he was in the studio at Atlantic, I said, you probably don't remember this, <laughs> but I said to you in a club, <laughs> that probably doesn't exist anymore, <laughs> that I was going to be a producer. He was like, oh, yeah, look at us now. I was like, yes, look at us now. That's amazing. I love That's that. That's incredible. Um, yeah. I am just amazed at all of, like, how active you were in audio at school. I, like, how in the world did you actually balance the audio side with your studies? Because it seems like what you're doing was a full-time job. You know what? Um, to be honest, my junior year was one of those years where the first semester, because the second semester I traveled abroad, but the first semester was one of those semesters. And I know every college student has had that semester where you felt like you were about to explode. You know, that was the semester for me. I had like a full six, five or six courses. I was doing my, my audio job. And then actually I did the music for a play on campus. So it was like, I was kind of pulling my hair out. And after that, I was like, okay, let me just balance. I went off to Cameroon and I was really busy in Cameroon, but it was like very kind of chill for me because I allow my passions to lead me. Nothing ever feels like work, even though I'm working really hard because now it's the same thing. You know, like I, I just got off the phone. I have a session tomorrow you know, at one studio and I have a session before I get to that studio at a different studio. And I have a session tonight that I just found out about. <laughs> and I got, you know, like I have a great assistant, you know, and I lead with my passions. So nothing feels like work, even though it's like a lot of, it's a lot of work all the time. Just, you know, the fact that I feel like people so often we put so much on our plates and when we really feel exhausted is when we're doing things that are put upon us by other people. Say that, it. Like that aren't. Tori. Yeah. Tori I mean. Preaching. <laughs> <laughs> you preaching over here. This is I your mean, podcast. <laughs> Uh, I have questions now. I'm gonna ask questions. <laughs> I mean, you I'm know, uh, 
the pandemic, uh, you know, has had its impact on all of us, I know, in our own ways. Um, but I definitely resonate with that because I feel as I listen to my heart and what I'd love to do, I feel less, I'll say, burdened and I yeah. feel more joy in my life. And mm -hmm. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because that can be such an encouragement to so many people. It's just, you know, you have been created uniquely as you. Mm. And when you listen to your heart and you listen to your passions, <laughs> your life will be catching a word. More alignment. Great. No, say it again. What were you saying? You said, what was the last bit? Um, you, you'll just feel, you'll be much more aligned with, you know, who you are and who you're supposed to be. Yeah. And that's, that's a really great point. Um, we, we are uniquely and wonderfully made. And when there's that nagging need to do something, then it just has to become a focus for you because it's going to drive you into your ministry and your mission statement as a person. Everybody has a personal mission statement and we're not meant to be constantly doing everybody else's bidding, right? We have our own individual life and I've had to say no to so many things. You know, there's a thing that the parents want you to do. And, and then when you get into the entertainment space or you break into your industry of choice, then you got people in your industry that have a vision for you. You know, that's something that recently happened with me. I had colleagues who I had so much respect for and who are so well-meaning, you know, seeing something in me that is valid, but at the same time wanting to put me on a path that is not in line necessarily with what I want to be doing. And I, and I have to push back on things like that. You know, I might have to resign from something or another. I might have to politely decline, you know, yeah, I mean, thank you so much, but this is really not for me. And people think a lot of times they don't do that because they think that that would jeopardize relationships. It's the opposite. People have respect for you when you prioritize yourself. And you'll find that you won't lose those colleagues. You won't lose those colleagues. They're going to support you, but they're going to have to watch you do it your way. And when they see you win doing it your way, they're going to have way more respect for that. You know, so I've kind of, I don't know if it's just a bit of stubbornness, but I've, I've lived my life the way I've wanted to do it. And I've said more no's than yeses probably. But I've said a lot of yeses that I didn't want to say either and had to live with those choices. You know, so you have to have to make the decisions that you have to make. For you. Well, and, you know, I think also having the courage to speak up for yourself and what you really want. And a lot of us struggle with that, too, because like you said, there's so many people out there, whether it's your company, your colleagues, they have this idea for you, but mm -hmm. only you know what's what's in your heart. And um, I'm noticing a lot of change in the um where I work right now. And there's so many positive changes. Mm -hmm. But this morning, I woke up with the feeling of, even though this is positive, 
it's kind of scary yeah. because you're you're taking that step and you don't have an answer. You may not know where this next opportunity is going to lead, mm. but you still have this underlying faith that it's all going to work out. Right. And that's the part, especially in audio. I mean, when you really think about it, audio is the story of that, right? I mean, there's no reason for people to have thought that they could capture sound. Like, there's no reason Whoa. why anybody would have thought that. Like, it, yeah. it used to, so the average person would say, well, if you want to hear sound, then you have to just go to the sound making space, right? You have to be in the live experience. Right. But somebody just had the faith to believe that there was more, there was more of a possibility that actually we could harness, harness the, the, the capabilities and the energy of electrons and in a way that would allow us to capture the acoustics of sound and, and transduce that to, to make it into some sort of electric current that then could travel and have multiple lives, could be either reinforced or completely reproduced, saved and reproduced for later using some sort of playback mechanism or technological means to capture and store that audio, whether it's on tape or vinyl or wherever. That's, that's, that was somebody's insane vision. Yeah. That was probably comparable to thinking that the world was round at some point um, for, for the, the, the earliest of people who were proponents of that. Like, no, the world is, the world is actually circular. No, it's not. No, it is. It's like somebody <laughs> had the faith to believe it. We we can capture sound. Audio is the story of that. Like you can't be in audio and not believe against believing. You know, that's kind of the nature of it. It's a faith-based enterprise. And we're constantly pushing the barriers back. I mean, when you think about a hundred years of progress in audio has produced type of fidelity that we enjoy just in the last like 20 years like yeah. since I started it just keeps getting better it's just not stopping you know there's always somebody at the edge of the discipline that says we can take this farther we can achieve more and that's what's so great about audio it's not toilet paper right. you know what I'm saying like I could have <laughs> gone into the toilet paper business it's the, been the same product since you might have been a millionaire during the pandemic just saying yeah yeah yeah, this is very true (laughs) I did feel like I was in the wrong business (laughs) when I saw that you know but it's just no innovation I mean and maybe I I don't want to be talking down about the toilet paper industry I'm sure they're thinking about threads and thread counts and all kind of stuff in a a very deep way I mean we always appreciate you know that smoothness we appreciate we we appreciate (laughs) um you know angel soft and all that we we do not you know they do great work, but the product has literally mm. not, never changed. It has not changed. Like it's the same product in yeah. audio. The product is constantly evolving. Like you cannot keep up with it. And then it's right. so volatile because in adjacent industries, you have products being designed constantly. And then there's this, this communication or conversation that, the audio industry has to have with all the other industries, whether it's automotives and cars or whether it's the entertainment, you know, movie industry and what they're right. doing in the movie industry. 
Like it's like, oh, we got to catch up now. Or whether it's, you know, the telecommunications business. Okay, they got these new phones. How are we going to deal <laughs> with these new phones? How are we going to deal with um, something I've been studying a little bit now is just network latency. How are we going to deal with all these people doing virtual sessions? Kind of like what we're doing. Um, but just imagine trying to do that with a recording artist. Like if I'm engineering on one end and I have an artist halfway across the country, can we find a really great way to decrease network latency such that we can work in real time? Like that's the next frontier for audio um, is remote recording, you know, in addition to immersive audio or yes. spatial audio is there rebranded recently. So we keep pushing this thing forward. Every time there's a, a wall or a ceiling, there's somebody hoping against hope that there's a way to squeeze out a better product for the end user so that they have a better experience. You know, we're all basically in this hot pursuit of listeners. We call them consumers, but really it's just it's just the people. The people run everything. And we're <laughs> constantly chasing them. Mm-hmm. And they don't know anything about this stuff. Maintaining our expert status, we have to keep it that way. And we don't want them to have to think too hard about stuff. But at the same time, we want them to be knowledgeable enough to to help us guide them, you know, to the best sonic experience we possibly can. Wow. Yeah. So along those lines, I guess that's inherent to the thrill of this pursuit for you is that you're never catching up. You're always on the cusp. (laughs) You can never get there. And that kind of to me ties into what you're saying um, in the beginning is just like, how do you know you're successful? How do you know you've had a successful career? Right. It's just like, how do you put that into perspective when it's always you never catch up you never get there? You're always learning. You're always pushing. Right. It has to be an internal thing. Um, it can't be really measured externally. And I'm saying that to myself as much as I'm saying it to you guys, ladies. Uh, I didn't get pronouns. I'm very sorry. Did everybody identify as yeah. Yep. Ladies, okay. guys, I'll take it. Yeah. yeah. I just have my two cats, which are the little guys, but you know, hey, so okay. <laughs> ladies okay. and guys. Okay, right on. <laughs> um, so, and, and like I said, I'm saying this to myself. It's not about where you measure in respect to other people, but you have to be able to say to yourself, well, I know 10,000 times more than I did last year. I, I am this much faster. I am this much more knowledgeable. I completely obliterated my ignorance on this one subject, right? I, I know, like, pick a subject. Cause, cause audio is like the ocean, so it's really deep. You're, you're always going to be swimming in a mass of information, and you're never going to be able to get all the way deep or become a specialist of everything. You'll have to specialize in one or two things. But like, like, like for example, I know something. I know I can do. I know I can record. I know I can track. I'm an excellent tracking engineer. I'm learning mixing. My mixes. I'm. You know you're good when you start getting like compliments and stuff. And people just, oh, no, this sounds great. People will let you know, you know, when you've gotten where you're trying. They, they'll let you know. Usually. <laughs> like I heard a comment about talent once. Like, isn't talent something that people tell you you have? I think that's when you start kind of seeing uh, that 
you're kind of progressing. But before that point, there's still advancement because you may never get to the point where people are actually able to compliment you, you know, but you can still, as your internal measurement system, you can always set goals. You know, you can say, well, I know a lot more about this one subject than I did last year. And I'm recording a lot faster in Pro Tools than I was. I know way more hotkeys than I knew a year ago. I'm making more tracks. When I first started, it would take me two weeks to like make one track. It was, it was. And what do you want now? I can make a track in an hour. Oh my God. (laughs) You're killing it. (laughs) 15 minutes. Like, no, it, it doesn't take me any time. Things that used to take so long don't take as long. And I just know so much more. When I first started off, I was like 19 or whatever. Like, I didn't know the first thing. Like, I sat down with this professor at school and he was trying to teach me about interfaces. And I just remember being so confused. I was like, okay, so I was like, we're at this sushi place. And he was trying to explain. He was like, so, you know, you get your hooks to your computer. I was like, wait a minute, stop. So it's like a box. I was like, how does the box like connect to my computer? He was like, you have to use a USB. I was like, oh, what is a USB? (laughs) I don't know. He was like, it comes with a cable. I was like, oh, gosh. And like, then where does the mic go? And he was like, there's there's XLR connections on the mic, on the box. I was like, so the box is like connected to the computer. It was, it was mm-hmm. like he was trying to explain an inbox to me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was just like, it was blowing my mind. And now it's like. Drop me in anybody's studio. It's just like, okay, I'm that, 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 that. I don't know. I have to know the console to know how to use it. You know, like, it's like, what kind of consoles? You get a random, like, EMI console from the late 70s. Okay, whatever. They all pretty much work the same. Just tell me what the routing is, like, and tell me what the patch base is. Let's go. <laughs> what are we doing? You know, like, and, and that was, that's a, you know, from two, let's say 2005 or 2000. So it's been like 15, 16 years to get there. But, you know, I'm not still that same kid in a sushi shop struggling <laughs> to, to figure out, you know, the, the most basic of consumer grade audio equipment um, that was ever produced. I love how you could trace it back to the kid in the sushi shop, you know, but that's amazing. Like that is a perfect measurement is everyone will have that moment where they felt like, wait, what? Like, you know, what's taken for granted as a basic concept can blow your mind. Oh. And now you're like, you've come so far. It's, <laughs> right. yeah, now you're listening to your tracks in the in the gym. It's like, whoa. Yeah, yeah God's good. Yeah, well, yeah. And, I mean, too, it's, you know, just showing that even though it may be very overwhelming at first, just with patience and trial and error, you know, you will get there. If you have that passion in your in your heart, you know, it it will happen. And showing up saying, you know what, I don't have the answer. I don't know, but someone does out there. Or you know what, I can look, I can play with some piece of gear, I can figure this out. And just showing up every day to show up for yourself and your dreams. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with that. And I would add to that, having a curiosity for learning, that's the first sign that lets you know you're into something, that you're passionate about it. Because especially in the sciences, 
there's so much knowledge to go back and grab, like wh- wherever you've been dropped in along the time continuum of, of, of scientific development, you have to go back and learn a whole bunch of stuff just so you can go forward and be innovative. If you don't have any interest in the digging part of it, that pretty much, I think, will let you know you're not necessarily passionate about it. So, for example, before I got into audio science, I was studying medical science. I was actually mm-hmm. a health sciences student. I took a lot of calculus, a lot of physics. I took anatomy and physiology. This was all through high school, which was like preparing me to go into the medical field after I I spent summers at Andover studying science, stats, all of that. I was a president of my biomedical debate team. And so I was really immersed. So it wasn't like it was a lack of exposure. I didn't want to go into medicine. But then I took that same science and used it to become an audio person. It's literally the same stuff. Like if you want to understand transistors, like you got to pull out a periodic table. You want to understand how silicon works and how transistors work and how doping transistors works to, to get electrons to flow a certain way in a more efficient way that basically ushered us into the, the modern era of electronics from, from tube technology. It's, it's, it's chemistry, you know, but I didn't, I didn't care nothing about the medical part of it. I'm like, mm. but Audio chemistry, totally into it. So it's like, I think if you're not necessarily involved in the the educational pursuit or you feel like drained by it or it's really a bore, it it doesn't produce a sense of zeal, then I think probably that's a good telltale sign. Like I'm really not passionate about this thing. I might be doing it because somebody else wants me to do it. Or you may be good at it but it's not your passion. Not a passion. Yeah. 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 You got to want to dig. You got to want to dig. I don't want to dig in because like I said, it's, it's like, it's so easy to get down a rabbit hole. Can we talk about gender amplified ink? Of, of course. course. <laughs> yes. I wanted to go into this Tori when you asked me about how did I manage to merge my work my work schedule at school with my actual studies. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways I did was integrating them. Gender Amplified ended up being my senior thesis project when I was in undergrad. And it was an ethnography about women who were producing music, particularly in hip hop. I was curious about who they were and where they were. And I did these interviews with women all over the city. I went as far as Jamaica, Queens to talk to one woman. I went to Brooklyn. I went to so many different places to identify these women. And they were so great to talk to and so talented. And they had worked on different projects and had varying levels of success. I talked to a woman who was doing like Bollywood fusion I talked to another woman who was doing like Caribbean hip hop fusion music in Brooklyn, a woman who was doing just kind of standard boom bat hip hop and was also an MC and was a, was a mother of an autistic child. And these people just had such great stories. And I thought that the deep tragedy of who they were and what they were doing is that nobody knew. So uh, that same year, as a compliment to my thesis, I did a conference of the same title. 
and brought all those women to campus with some support from my major and the deans of studies office. And they saw great value in what I was trying to do and, and afforded me a space to do that. And it was just such a great energy. We had a keynote speaker, we had panels, we had a screening of a of a grassroots documentary called Lady Beatmakers Volume One that was basically shot on a handy cam like the year before and was screening all over New York. You know, it was just such a wonderful underground community of women producers, but not just producers, women DJs, women MCs who were just kicking around New York because I like to think there was this dark a bit of a dark period for women in hip hop. And so a lot of women were pushed underground. You didn't see a lot of women coming out with albums like hit records. And a couple of years later that changed with Nicki Minaj, but there was this really dark period. You had this huge presence of women in hip hop in the nineties. And then by the early two thousands, it really, it really trickled out. And there weren't as many women in the commercial ecosystem. And that included producers, you know, so it was great to bring all these women together. I think there was really a yearning for community. So we did that in 2006. And as my career continued to progress, I, I just kind of brought it with me. Every, everywhere I worked, you know, I was just kind of like, hey, let's do a panel of women in production. Let's call it Gender Amplified. And everybody was always like, okay, whatever. We trust you. <laughs> so I went back to Barnard again in 2013 and we did a music festival that year. And that was one of the things that helped me get the job at Atlantic. I think my bosses uh, saw that in my innovation there and saw that I was doing something bigger than myself. That's what my boss told me. I was just impressed that you were doing something bigger than yourself. You know? And so I've continued to um, do Gender Amplified on and on into the future. It's really a bit of a, a mission. But I'm I'm glad to see that I'm not doing it alone. I mean, there's Sound Girls, there's Women's Audio Mission, and she is the music now. They're doing great work. There's women in music. There are way more organizations for women in audio than there were in the beginning. You know, so I'm I'm thankful. And and now we're a 501c3. So I went ahead and did that back in 2015. And then we just we just truck along. We do events. We start a scholarship at Barnard. We manage our social media accounts, try to use those as means of spotlighting women in music production. We have plans to build a studio in the future. Mm, amazing. Um, so that's, that's who we are and what we do. So since you mentioned that you were in the gym and you heard the song that you had worked on, uh, a song that you had worked on, Have It All, and I want you to know for me that there have been so many times where I've just you know driven in my car I've listened to that and I want you to know that you've made an impact on my life based on Aww. you following your passion. And I, I, I don't know, I don't know if I can read any of the lyrics on here, but you know, I can, but just looking, reflecting on a few, may you have the confidence to always do your best. Yeah. And may you always lead from the beating in your chest I want you to have it all. Yep. May and the best of the days be the worst of the tomorrows. You know, just a beautiful lyric written by a really nice guy. I, I think when you think about great song lyrics, they should be relatable, sure. 
But I think the best song lyrics are the ones that the songwriters trying to convey to themselves. I think that's what makes it real and digestible for everybody else. And I said this before in the press about the song being the star of everything. And if what we do is dress that up, we put production around the song. But without that skeleton, everything else really does fall flat. And I haven't done a lot of big records like that. Well, that's a lie. But <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, what am I trying to say? I feel very connected to that record. And I've been fortunate to work on a lot of records that are powerful, is what I was trying to say. I've worked on a lot of records where the people were really trying to say something earnest and do a bit of a service through music. And it was a very conscious decision to do that. And I'm very thankful that for the vast majority of things I've worked on that have been successful, that have gone on to, to do well, have made me just as proud of my involvement. You know, it hasn't just been like, oh, yeah, this did really good, but I'm not proud of it. Like, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to let people know I recorded right. it. You know, some of those records didn't, <laughs> didn't go anywhere, thankfully. <laughs> Well, not thankfully, but, <laughs> but you know, yeah. Um, so it's good to hear that that record has such a lasting impact on you. That's why we do it, you know. Ebony, it's been such a great pleasure getting to hear oh, you, likewise. hear your story, getting likewise. to know you, and you're doing something so very special in our industry and in, in our oh, world. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Wow. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, where did y'all come from this morning? That was so great. Nice and warm. Thank you. Grab your tickets for the first annual Soundgirls Virtual Conference scheduled for December 4th and 5th. Early bird registration is open until this Thursday, September 30th, which gives you 20% off tickets. For more information on the event, including the incredibly stacked lineup of presenters, check out the events tab at soundgirls.org. And if you need financial assistance, please let us know by emailing soundgirls at soundgirls.org. Thank you for listening to the Soundgirls podcast.